I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. is episode 16 of Rule the Roost. We have we have come of age. We're legal now, Raj. How does that how does that feel? Uh, it's slightly better. Uh, being from the city that Jimmy Savile's from, I, I prefer it when we're over 16. Uh, anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> well, as obviously we have the, the, the dull void that is the international break this week, we're just going to talk about Spurs. It's a bit weird that, given that our, uh, our USP is apparently opposition discussion, but here we are. Um, this week, as ever, I'm joined by Raj Baines. Hello, Raj. Hello. There you go, yeah, right. short and sweet. Um, and we're, we're also joined by two other esteemed guests this week. First of all, we have Ben McAleer, who is from whoscored.com, and, of course, the legendary to the lane and back, as I was trying to get him to, uh, to post today. But, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> since left that pasture, haven't you, Ben? I have indeed. How, now. How, is, how, how are things in the Who Scored Towers at the moment? Uh, very good at the moment. It's all very, very frantic, but all very good. We're at the 200,000 follower mark yesterday, so... Nearly nearly as many as the uh, Rule the Roost Twitter okay. handle has then. <laughs> Getting close. Yeah, exactly. And you've, you've recently moved house as well, haven't you? How's, how's that going? Oh, it's lovely. Got a nice to live with my, uh, one of my mates from back home, so it's always, always fun. I think you're in my neck of the woods as well, so I'm going to be hiding in the bushes outside and watching you, watching you brush your teeth in the morning. You can uh, do that as much as you want. <laughs> and we're also joined by Abby Summers from Fanzone. Hello, Abby. Hello. G- good to have you on the show. Thank you for thank you for lending us your time. My pleasure. I see you. The first lady of Rule the Roost. That's it. The, you can see you're the Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady of Rule the Roost. <laughs> Really honoured. People have called me the Iron Lady before, so so I'm happy for that. <laughs> there we go. I, I see from your bio, you're the next Georgie Thompson as well. So indeed, I am. You just watch this space. Exactly. So remember us when you are actually famous. I will. Please. I will always remember. Always remember all the roots. Ah, oh, great. Well, there we go. So let's. I guess let's mull over as we often do at the start of each episode. What either went right or what went wrong in the uh, last week's performance, and I think. It's it's a tough one, this one, the Newcastle fixture, because it feels as though quite a lot went right, but ultimately everything went wrong. And if you if you listen to the online community, everything went wrong. Um, Raj, I mean, how how would you start off going, depicting the the cadaver that is the Newcastle game? Um, it was it was a horrible experience watching it live, because um, I think from the first save that Tim Krul made. You knew just which way it was going, um, and I was 
I was horribly hungover that morning and after doing it at Barcroft dressed as Shrek the day before. So I was not in the mood to, to watch that sort of performance. And um, it just it, it went the way that I think everyone could see it going. The, the second that we, we knew Friedel was starting, um, as soon as we conceded early and then failed to, to score after playing so well, um, it was, as Harry would say, one of those days. But... Um, I think there's there's many more um, uh, there's much more to, to take from it that's that's positive than there is negative. I believe, and um, I, I don't think there's any wholesale changes that need to be made. I think that there are one or two tweaks that we could um, we, we could look at in more depth, but but nothing that's uh, too drastic. I mean, quite a lot of the the vitriol post game seems to have gone to AVB on this occasion. Um, I mean. Ben, what? How would you address that issue? Ugh, it was just frustrating to watch. I mean, in the first half, you could see Newcastle obviously were looking had a game plan that was to get exploit Dawson's lack of pace and put Remy in behind. It worked. Uh, he changed it in the second half. He was forced into taking Kirikes off, which was a massive blow. But saw Kabul come back. Uh, Kabul come back in. Excuse me. And um, Sandro came in as well, and he knew that changes need to be made, and he made them to his credit. And we looked a lot better in the second half, but as Redknapp would often say annoyingly, it was just one of those days. Um, I was a bit frustrated when he bought Defoe for Sigurdsson, predominantly because I thought Sigurdsson wasn't doing that badly when I thought Paulinho could have come off because he looked quite... <laughs> Quite lazy, I thought. Anyway, there was the gap between the midfield and the attack where he just wasn't filling. And I thought maybe taking him off Philomela would have added a bit more fluidity to the attack and maybe would have could have pressed them a lot more later on. Because, but... I mean, I know we've both spoken this week, um, well, amongst one another, about Polinio's work rate in the last game. And for what was built to us as this kind of combative, box-to-box, energetic midfielder, he wasn't showing many of those qualities in that last game, for me at least. Um, now, do you give any credence to the fact that this seems to be, again, another poor performance after a midweek European fixture? And thus, can we then put the light onto AVB again in that, is he fielding too strong a team for the Europa League? Does he need to start actually weighing up where the priorities lie for Spurs? Well, I think his priority is to get through to the next round of the Europa League. And we would have come top if hadn't been... We would have come automatically qualified at first if it wasn't for Angie's late goal against um, Tromso. And it is a bit of a... It's just something he needs to figure out. But we've got a big enough squad to actually be able to do that. I mean, Capoose came back from injury against Sheriff. <laughs> Mella started. Uh, Defoe started. And, you know, it just shows the strength and depth that we have. But it's just finding that ideal first starting eleven in the Premier League and being able to find the strongest squad for Europe as well so we can compete compete on both fronts because we definitely can, I think, anyway. I mean, yeah, Raj, were you, were you just laughing again because you said Capri? <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah, sorry. I can't help <laughs> I was really trying not to laugh because I just heard you corpsing in the background. It's a very astute point you made there, Ben. I'm sorry to, uh, to, just, <laughs> to, to meet your point with laughter, but it's just... <laughs> <laughs> Every time it's mentioned, I just hear Raj's like nose explode. But uh, <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, what uh, in particular, Abby? I mean, has has anything stuck out for you in the past few weeks about about AVB? Because I think a, f- a few people and myself, I've I've noted that there's almost been a a bit of a change in his tone. I think it, it started when he kind of called the fans out. Then, if, yeah, for want of a better expression, um, and with. I don't know, the spotlight seemingly put back on this Adebayor issue, putting the Tongan in at left back, although that seems to be more through necessity. But, I mean, do you, what are your thoughts on him at the moment? I think that he doesn't have a plan B. I mean, I understand that it's obviously it takes a while for a team to gel. We brought in, you know, seven new players. This this season's kind of his season under with, you know, his team that he's managing and Levy backed him in the summer and he's gotta go out and show, you know, what it what all that money was spent on. And I just think that it seems like at the moment he doesn't really have a plan B. He sets up very congested in midfield. It seems very negative, especially at home. And if any if you're not going to away games, I mean that's all you're really seeing. You're only really seeing you know how we're performing at home, and and it's just it's not great at the moment. Um, I do, I do understand that obviously it does take time, and that players have to learn how to play together. But ultimately, it does come back down to the manager and how he sets up the team. And if you're setting up so negatively at home, it's just such a defeatist attitude. And I don't think that's something that fans, you know, are getting excited about. And it's very difficult to get behind the team when you know you're not seeing the results on the pitch. Yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely a point in there in in the respect that, you know, playing these two holding midfielders um, at home and it seems consistently away as well, does seem to be a detriment to our, our attacking fluidity. I mean, this is something we spoke about last week, Raj, how we were saying, you know, perchance trying more of a 4-1-4-1 when we're playing at home. Um I mean, can you see any tangible reason for AVB's insistence upon this, even against a team such as Newcastle that doesn't particularly boast, uh, let's be honest, that strong a team on paper? Um, well, there's been news. Um, today I've been knee-deep in, in heat maps and, and tactics boards, and I've been writing and looking into this at some great detail. I've come up with like 18 different little little small things that we can change. One of the things that I've I've, I've looked at um, at great detail is that that critique that we've only got the one tactic and that we've we've not got a plan B, and I've looked at gone back and watched like long periods of games where we've set up differently throughout a match. So it might not look um, different in terms of having the two players there in that first band, but the difference being is we've we've played all sorts of, of different variations on that within one game. So the players have swapped positions and players have got themselves in different areas. So if, if we were not, if we didn't have a, a second plan, if we didn't have an alternative, we wouldn't be able to, to operate in, in such a, a fluid manner in that sense. What I think is the, is the problem is when Polinio and Dembele start together as they did against Newcastle. Um, as Ben pointed out, Capu missing and Sandra having come back from injuries is a massive detriment to the, the way in which we operate because we need to uh, come up with a system in which Capu and Dembele and uh, Polinio and Sandro interchange. So if one of them plays together, they've quite clearly got a clearly defined a clearly defined rule between them. Sandro and Capu are very defensive midfielders. They're, they're able to drop deeper and clean up and sit in front of a back four, and that's where they thrive. Polinio and Dembele are slightly more adventurous. 
However, when they start together, they, they seem to, to confuse their roles. Um, they tread on each other's toes a little bit more. And because they know that they have a dual responsibility of having to defend and having to attack, and neither one of them wants to take one head on and the other do the other, they both want to try and do the same thing. It's almost like uh, 10 years ago when Steve Gerrard and Frank Lampard wanted to play in the middle for England together. It's, it's that same sort of two similar type of players having to, to operate in, in a system that requires two very different roles. I think that's that's the um, that's the sticking point. But as soon as we've got that balance of having one of the defensive players and one of the more attacking players together, I don't think it, it'll be an issue for much longer. No, I mean... I- and just to highlight this, uh, the kind of notion of AVB not having a, a plan B, I've, I've got to say it, it did worry me slightly that his his big change was to revert to four four two and put Defoe up front alongside Soldado. Yeah. Do, does that, um, I mean, do you not feel that could be indicative of the fact that a lot of what people are saying that AVB does struggle to come up with an alternative plan is is potentially a just argument? I think it was almost, um, it was definitely a lose-lose for him with Defoe, but I think the reason in which he did it was in order to almost sacrifice Defoe was so that he didn't put Lamella in that situation. Lamella's come off the back of his best performance for us, so on the face of it, um, even me at the time was calling for him to come on, but having thought about it at some length afterwards and tried to think about it as if I was actually managing him. If he'd have played so well in a game beforehand and everyone's opinion of him is so high, and then the chance that he comes onto that game and fails to make an impact, his stock will then fall and it may once again negatively impact his confidence. So rather than risking that with a player in which he wants to, in time, become a a regular first-teamer, if he allows him... To, to put another player on Defoe, who, who most likely probably going to be early January from the sounds of things, if he puts him as the, the lamb to the slaughter and he fails to change it, it's, it's much less of a loss than than Eric Lamella reverting to, to somebody who hasn't got as much confidence as the as a guy who was dancing through defences in midweek. So I think um, I think it was almost to save him the um, the pressure. Of, of having that um, that entire game would have would have been on his shoulders to change had he had he been that third substitution. I think one of the things I personally found most concerning about the game, um, and especially from the cruel stat, it's not so much that I feel that we were unlucky after the game that cruel had this fantastic performance. I think that the amount of saves cruel made actually highlighted the fact that we didn't seem to have many, well, much of an impetus um, at the front that we, again, seemed to be short for ideas in the final third and we're just relying on a lot of hit and hopes. I mean, there were, I would say, three saves in particular he made that were genuinely top draw. The the flick back from Soldado, the one with his left leg against, I believe, was it Polinio he scored with? Uh, he saved against last minute with his left leg? Yeah. Yeah, um, and then a, another one, I can't remember what it was. But I think there were three saves in particular. The rest just seemed to be shots that were either straight at him or shots that weren't particularly that powerful. Um, I mean, can you, Ben, I mean, say, did, did you see it as we were particularly unlucky or do you think we are still short for those ideas in the final third? I think we're still short, but a lot of it's because I think... 
Zoldado is often isolated up top on his own. I mean, he put Ericsson up in the number 10 role behind him and it improved Soldado's impact a lot because Ericsson was more involved, Soldado was more involved compared to Everton last week. But it's just, it's still because I think, as Braj pointed out, like Dembele and Paulinho sort of treading on each other's toes and there's that link between the like deep-lying midfielder and the number 10 that's lacking, forces Ericsson to drop deeper, forces Soldado to come deeper and sometimes leave him isolated. Um, it would be good to see maybe Sandro in the holding role and uh, Holtby alongside him just to provide that extra link in between both the holding midfielders and uh, Ericsson, number 10. And I think that would sort of improve our attacking impetus in the final third. I mean, one thing that can be argued um, is that Soldado isn't getting the service that he requires, that maybe our system isn't set up best to suit him. Uh, I'm not for a second suggesting that they are players of you know, similar ability. Um, I think Soldado is a much more talented footballer than Jermaine Defoe ever has been. However, one of the big arguments I always see you know, or big criticisms of Defoe is that he's too one-dimensional. If the ball isn't played to him, he's not going to make his own goal. If the ball isn't played behind a defence where he can run onto it, he's not going to score. Now, it seems to me, though, that a lot of people are making excuses for Soldado off the back of the same thing, but just twisting it the other way. So instead of saying, you know, oh, if Def- you know, Defoe isn't doing this for this reason, they're saying the reason why Soldado isn't doing that is because we're not providing him with these these opportunities. I mean, for a £26 million striker, I, I, you know, obviously I don't think money should really have a bearing on how someone adopts or plays within a, a system that maybe is alien to them. But could he still be doing better despite the fact that the system probably isn't Catering to his ability. I think the problem is the inverted wingers, and I think we're going to come onto that later. But it doesn't help him at all that the wingers are cutting in towards their right foot because it leaves the uh, midfield often really congested. And I think uh, there was an article went out last month that showed that vast majority of his goals came from wingers that actually put the ball in quite early on on their favoured foot. Uh, and I think the inverted winger system just doesn't suit him at all because the ball comes back into the midfield. The defence can bring numbers, well, defence can bring players back into the, uh, congest the, congest the uh, back line and it just stifles our attack massively. And, I mean, it's exactly the same as what would happen with Defoe which it really doesn't help our system and it doesn't help our strikers settle, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, what what were you going to say there, Abby? I was going to say Sorry. that I, mean, I do obviously understand that, you know, where everyone comes from with the whole inverted wingers thing. But at the end of the day, this guy this guy is a £26 million striker and he's played at a top club and, and he's, he's got that price tag for a reason. And I think that even though he needs that service, he's also a striker and they have to have that, they have to have that, you know, passion in them to want to go and get the goal. And I don't feel like, he has a body language which is like, right, I'm going to go get the ball and I'm going to work hard for it. I feel like he pretty much sits in the box, even if he is just kind of a box-to-box player, and just waits. I feel like he could be doing more to, you know, try and get the ball and, and try and track back a bit and try and, you know, work from outside the box, even if it's not 
you know, usually part of his game, I feel like he could adapt to it because he's in a new league, he's in a new team, he's going to have to adapt and try and get the goals. They can't just always be from the penalty spot and he can't just always be waiting for someone to put in a cross that suits him. He's going to have to get more involved in the team and going to have to work for it a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I I must say, uh, in the last game, there were certain points where I thought he, he was just potentially out of frustration, perhaps, wandering a bit, wasn't maybe sticking to his position, not maybe being as direct as he could have been. Um, it, it is a worry, and I think, you know, we've seen over the week he's... He put out something on Instagram um, about having to keep focused, and I think he he's favourited now. A, a couple of tweets are particularly disparaging of AVB. So, whether or not that's a symptom of some bad blood in the dressing room, I don't know. I don't want to start with all this sensationalist AVB's lost the dressing room because I think that's ridiculous. Um, but I think there are potentially some issues there that have stemmed past just how his performances are on the field. Um, I don't know whether or not Soldado is that au fait with the, uh, the world of social media and whether he knows <laughs> that people can actually see his favourites. Um, but it is probably something that needs to be addressed. Although I, that's, that's a bit of an interesting curveball with, with modern football, isn't it? Yeah, can you imagine a, a manager of the 70s, someone like, you know, Clough chastising chastising one of his players about favouriting a tweet you know it's uh it's 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 a, it's a strange political landscape that that social media has painted for for footballers now um so yeah i don't know uh christian erickson he's uh he's one that's that started to polarize opinion uh, i mean if you were to look at the stats he was one of the the best performing attacking midfielders in the league on the weekend but most Spurs fans seem to think he had an absolute howler. Uh, anyone, anyone care to to jump in to say anything about Christian? Uh, I could. I was waiting for other people, but yeah, think, go, go on, Ben. <laughs> Dive on in, mate. I think the problem is is again relating back to the midfield. He had to continuously drop deeper to actually receive the ball, and by the time he's done that, he's got no support and he's got. At the weekend, for example, we had Tiote and Kabai uh, just hounding him every time he picked up the ball, and he still did well, like well enough to uh, try and forge opportunities for Soldado, for for Townsend, and for Sigurdsson. But I think he just because he has to continuously drop deeper, it doesn't help him. And I think maybe putting him and Holtby in the same midfield with Sandro Kapu would be would be able to well would see the fluidity of the attack maybe improve a fair bit and bring out the best in him because he was making some very clever runs which I spotted in the first and second half but they just weren't picked out annoyingly I mean can you see Lamella being foil for him around around the box so you know because I mean a lot of people seem to be at the moment wanting Lamella to play out on one of the wings but Roma seem to want to cultivate him into their new Totti, so essentially that new kind of number 10 role or false nine, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, I mean, could could you see Lamella perhaps, you know, if we were to adopt more of a, a an attacking system at times, so a 4-1, 4-1, um, could you see Lamella operating well alongside Ericsson behind the striker? Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, if you sort of keep the pace on the wings 
because Lamella isn't the quickest uh, winger in the world, and I can definitely see his position in the future being the number ten. Um, if you keep the wingers out wide, so Townsend and Lennon, for example, uh, him alongside Ericsson, I think could work really well because they, their movement is really clever, but they're not the quickest, so they could thrive in that position. What about what about you, Raj? You, you're often particularly vociferous about the the wing play and who you'd like to see operating in certain positions. Yeah, um, I actually prefer him out wider on the right, um, purely because when he does cut in, we've got Kyle Walker down that side who does provide us with width. And he's been fantastic this season, Kyle Walker. I think apart from Loris, he's probably been one of our most consistent and better players um, between the two of them. They're probably um, the, the, the two standout performers so far. I think what I always try and do is not every, take everything at face value. And um, I think the three players that we're going to be looking to, to create and be our most um, attacking the creative players, as, as mentioned, is Ericsson, Lamella and Holtby. And I agree with Ben that in time, Holtby could slot back in further and, and play alongside one of the more defensive players. But when you're looking at those three players, you've got to, to bear in mind that two of them are 21 and Holtby's only just turned 23. And then if you if you then take a step back and, and look at the players in which they're trying to replace in that system and the players that that we're almost comparing them to subconsciously. You've got Luka Modric who, when he was playing in a similar position to Holtby Deeper, was, was 25 when he was playing really well. You've got Christian Eriksen playing number 10 role that, that Rafael van der Vaart came and, and Stola Hart's playing when he was 28, 29. And then you've got Eric Lamella who's, who's having to, to live up to his price tag and, and try and fill the shoes of Gareth Bale who was three, four years older than him at 24 when he was um, playing really well at the, the top of his game. So they've still got time to, to develop. They're, they're nowhere near the, the finished product is yet. We're very much buying for the future. So I think if anyone's expected them to, to come in and, and be those players as soon as possible, um, I think that's slightly unreasonable. Um, but um, there is there is a, a way that we can get more out of them this season. I just... Um, the way in which I see it is that we're, we're doing we're doing very well at the moment with with what we've got, and then if around Christmas they're starting to bed in a little better, um, that's at the stage where you can you can really kick on. I mean, um, Manchester United season after season with Sir Alex Ferguson always used to stumble towards Christmas, and then they'd really find the groove and really find their own identity, and from then on they'd, they'd kick on. I think that's something that we should be aiming to try and do this season. I mean, who who would you want to who would you want to play up the top at the moment, Abby? Um, out out of the options we do have, you know, Holtby, Eriksson, so on and so forth. How would you like to see us set up? Um, it really depends, to be honest with you. I mean, I would obviously like to see a more attacking formation. I think that we're at our best when we're attacking. I would probably like to see. Holtby and Ericsson together because it's not something we've seen yet. I'd like to see Lamella start. I was at the Sheriff game last week and I, I think we had a really great game. So I, I was actually quite shocked he didn't start against Newcastle. Um, I thought he might have given him a shot, but you know, I think someone else touched on it earlier that it, it might have been because of the confidence thing. Um, I think Townsend is having quite a decent season. I have actually been seeing that people aren't really agreeing with that so much at the moment. Um I don't know. I'd probably like to see all four of them actually incorporated into the side with Soldado. I think that 
if you've got all four of them in the side, surely Soldado is going to get some kind of service and, and, and would take off from there. I think that he's just got to get a few goals, you know, from open play under his belt and it might do wonders for his confidence. It's just that he's got to start getting the service. And if you've got all four of them who are such attacking players in the side, he's going to have to get a goal from somewhere. It'd be pretty possible for him not to. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, one of our much maligned players who, for my money, doesn't seem to do a lot wrong, really, is uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson. If anything, he, he seems to be, as we've said previously, a, a technically fantastic player. It maybe lacks a yard of pace or so. Um, but, I mean, do you, a lot of people have said that maybe his game's suffering because we don't have a... a, a a left back of any quality at the moment that's allowing that overlap and allowing a bit of extra width on the left. Um, but I mean, do you, I mean, say Ben. I mean, it, really, Sigurdsson's position is behind the striker, isn't it? It would be where we've got Christian Eriksen at the moment. Um, do you think it's just a case that there's just not a place for Sigurdsson really to play where he wants to play, purely because of the quality of Eriksen? Um, I'm not sure. It's a bit hard. It's a bit unfair on Sigerson because, as you said, he's a technically very good player, and I agree with you that we haven't got a natural left back uh, to help him when he cuts in. Because I think one of our biggest losses at the moment is Danny Rose. I mean, Vertonghen's done very well there in his um in his absence, but it's just I don't know. It's just Sigerson seems like the easiest one to sacrifice, sadly, because. He, when you need a goal, he'll be there to score that goal for you uh, against Chelsea and against Norwich. He exhibited that perfectly. But if we're look, if Lamella does get converted to a number ten role, Eriksson can play there. Holtby can play there as well. Then it is he just seems like the easiest one to sacrifice. As much as it pains me to say it. I mean, so it's funny you wouldn't imagine at the start of the season. Us saying that Danny Rose would be one of the one of the players that we miss the most, but it does seem to transpire that that is the case. Um, and th- this is this is one of the other murmurs that people have echoed about Andre Villas-Boas is the fact he's let Benoît Cotta go. And now there's a lot of speculation as to why that is, but you know if we just concentrate on the fact that essentially our best left back is not in the club. Is that, is that something we should look to replace in January? Do you think, do you think Danny Rose is actually a player of genuine quality or is he someone we're just missing because the only other option is a disgruntled Jan Vertonghen or uh, quite obviously not good enough Carl Norton? Um, oh, go on, Raj. Yeah, I think um, it should be a priority if we're only going to buy one player in January. I want it to be a left back. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a a, a better left back than Danny Rose. It just has to be a, a better left back than Carl Norton, essentially, because he he's looked abject not only in, in Premier League games, but there's a Europa League performance against a team that are borderline amateur, where he, where he looked out of his depth, which is entirely worrying. Um, so I'd, I'd I'd definitely look to be to be getting a left back in. Um, I think that's a in all the all the talk about squad depth. That's the the one glaring omission that we've got there. I think right back is probably less of a problem because we've got players like uh, Kabul and Kirakesh that can fill in there. But um, left back 
wise, we we definitely need to invest there. I think we we probably tried to in the summer, and that was the only position we missed out on. But that's that's a priority for us. I feel. I mean, so you be you don't think Danny Rose is is the answer long term though. Um, give him a chance because he started the season a lot better than I expected him to. Um, the reservations I have with with to buy a player that fits in January is that it doesn't necessarily always happen. I prefer a player to obviously, if they're going to be a first choice, have the summer behind them, having having that time to have a pre-season with the squad. Um, and Danny Rose hopefully should be fit by then. So if we have two competent left backs rather than one competent and one not um then then I'll take that over over just having having the one option so um I think uh, if it's just a stopgap signing if it's just a, a loan or something like that um as long as it's of of some quality then I'll then I'll accept it I mean who uh, viable candidates I mean one of the ones that people seem to like talking about is Fabio Contral but uh, for me if that was going to happen it would have happened in the summer along with the bail deal um Luke Shaw is another one, but given the kind of form that he's in and the way Southampton are playing, it's going to cost a hell of a lot of money to get him. Um, and I think his his heart's set on Chelsea anyway, given that he's a an open boyhood Chelsea fan. Um, I mean, I was linked earlier to um, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, the Swiss international who plays at uh, I think he plays at Wolfsburg at the moment. Was someone you know someone was saying is a, a viable candidate, but. I mean, really, when we're talking about spending, what, 10, 10 to 15 million on a left-back, who who is a viable... It's all very well to say, oh, we need to sign someone, we need to put someone in that's better than Carl Norton, or we need to put someone in that's equal to Danny Rose or to Benoit Suricotto, but actually identifying anyone and actually buying them is is another matter, so... I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm missing someone glaringly obvious, but if you can think of any other candidates, potentially, anyone? <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the trouble with, with trying to fit someone with a, a price target like that and, and getting them in January is that obviously if, if we make it known to other clubs in the market that we're uh, openly looking for a player in that position, then that automatically adds money on top of their price already. Which is why I was looking towards a loan or something like that. I mean, there's, I'm sure the, the team and Franco Baldini can can come up with someone that they can can loan for six months or somebody they can just having as a stopgap. Even if they're they're old and at the end of the, the wits, as long as they're they're better than Carl Norton, <laughs> that's really how desperate the situation is. I'll, I'll happily have them for, for that short amount of time. It's almost a a uh, period in which I'd take a, a, a red nap like signing of someone old and on a short term contract just as long as we had time to, to rectify it properly come the summer. I mean, in, in fairness, it could be argued that the team doesn't have enough experience in there. So, and you know, an older loan capture or a free transfer could be, could be something that the, uh, the doctor ordered. Perhaps William Gallus, is he still knocking about on a free? Uh, he's at Perth Glory now. Oh, what a wanker. Thank <laughs> yeah. um, well, you, the answer. No? <laughs> no? No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard to know where this, where this season's going to go at the moment because uh, as much as it could be doom and gloom for Tottenham, there's a lot of stuttering clubs around us. 
Um, and two of those are the Manchester clubs that we have in, well, in back-to-back succession in our games after the however long it is, month-long international break that we're facing at the moment. Regardless of their form, it's, it's two worrying fixtures. Man United seem like they're on the up and, well, they're actually above us now and City are, they're a decent outfit at home. It just seems to be on the road that they're, they're stuttering quite a bit at the moment. Um, like, Abby, can you see us taking anything from either of the games? I would like to think so. I really would like to think so. I think City is going to be a massive game for us. I mean, we obviously will not want to lose that game. We've had a great away form this season. It'd be such a shame to ruin that at City. Um, it just, I think it is really just down to the manager and how he puts the team out at the end of the day. If he's going to go there and park the bus and, and go for a point, then it's not going to, it's not going to say much to the team. It's not going to say much to the fans. I think we need to go there and, and give it a real shot and give it a go. You know, we've been there other, other previous and giving it a go and we've got something out of it or we've just marginally missed out and I don't see why we wouldn't go there and, and give it our all to be honest I think that the big one will be United at home because of our, how bad our home form has been this season I think that if he really does set out negatively against them then it might be good night but it, it really depends I mean if, if we do win at City it's a massive confidence boost for us it's a massive thing for the team and then we can take that form and hopefully bring it home that will have the fans behind the team and it's a big game so it's just so early on in the season, it's difficult to look at the table because people are all doom and gloom at the moment and, and saying, oh, it's, it's not great. But when you look at it, we're five points off the top, even though we're sitting in seventh, it's, it's so close up there. We're in the Capital One Cup in the quarterfinals, we're, we're through to the knockout stages. It's not all doom and gloom. And I think that even though fans don't like what's going on on the pitch and you know we're not scoring enough goals, I think we also do need to look at the positives. And, and hopefully City will also be another positive. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. We can take take into the United game. I mean, Ben, how, how how would you want to see us set up to you know to really go for it as Abby's saying to to take it to Man City and to hopefully you know, at least come back with a point? What do you think the secret is going to be? How where do you see them as vulnerable this season? Well, fortunately, David Silva's I think going to miss out, and it's touch and go whether. Vincent Company will actually be fit in time. So, I mean, there's two massive losses to them because, you know, they're both big players for City. It's just our away form is a lot better because there's no not as much pressure on the uh, players. They can play with a bit more confidence, a bit more freedom. And it's just a tough one to actually see, I think. I think stopping Aguero obviously is going to be the main one. Uh, he's been in blistering form, take out the Sunderland game. Um, denying him the goal-scoring opportunities will be important. I think Sandro coming in will be massively important, especially because he, especially if he drops deeper, just to stifle him and just keep him uh, at bay. Um, it's just a tough one, really. I mean, Raj, in terms of United, can you... Can you see that uh, their their resurgence is going to cause us problems at home, or do you think they're a team that we we should be beating? Um, or you know, regardless of it being the Fergie effect or not, are Man United still Man United, and it, 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 should they be revered as they have been previously? Yeah, I don't think I'd ever feel comfortable saying that we should beat Man United in any sort of capacity, but. Um, I do agree that we we could go out and attack Manchester United. I think that's probably the best way to go at them, uh, especially with the, the way in which that David Moyes is playing. He's um, he's a much more reactive manager and a much more conservative manager than Sir Alex ever was. Um, I couldn't ever see him him going three 0 down at White Hart Lane and winning five three as Sir Alex as Sir Alex did. But um, I do think that they are one that we need to. To look at trying to to get on the back foot as early as possible when we do play them, um, purely because they're going to set up similar to how Everton were. Um, the way in which that they beat Arsenal on the weekend was was tactically very similar to the way in which that that he used to try and beat teams at home with Everton. Um, very robust, uh, very hard to break down. But the fact that he's got the added quality of Wayne Rooney and, and Robin Van Persie just means that he's actually got some some teeth in attack, um, which was rarely the case in Everton. So um, I'd, I'd, I would want to see us try and attack Manchester United. Um, I think that we will um, we will try and beat them because it's it's one that uh, he's done well in in the past. So um, I'd, I'd look forward to, to them at home more than City away. Because uh, I think City away is going to be a, a much more <laughs> a different proposition entirely. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, uh, Manchester United at home, I entirely agree. We should be attacking. Yeah, but City away for you is it a game we can win? 
we can win it, yeah. Um, I don't think that the football we'll have to play to win it will uh, will satisfy some. Um, I don't think the way in which we'll set up will uh, will satisfy anyone either. I think um, last season we were we were unlucky to, to lose there. Um, I think it was uh, we had a dodgy again dodgy Joe Hart save from a Stephen Cocker header and um, put us ahead, and then it was um, a very very. Uh, questionable attempt to save late on from Brad Friedel against Aguero that lost it as late on. But um, I can see he's testing them in the middle of the park because yeah, Torre recently has had a, a tendency to, to look lethargic at times in a similar to manner in which people are pointing the finger at Polinho. Um So if, if, we, if we play somebody like Holtby who's going to try and be a bit more energetic and, and try and test their defence, which has been uh, slightly suspect. Um, we can give them a good game, but um, I, I can happily see us sitting there and, and looking to absorb them for, for long periods and then play on the break. So um, I wouldn't be expecting uh, any sort of cavaliering performance at the Etihad, and, uh, nor would I promote one in all honesty, because we'd, we'd likely be picked off in, in spectacular fashion. Just as a as a curveball, would you want to see us chuck in any like wild cards, a Lamella maybe start him up at the City Manchester because it's often the the type of fixture where you have one of those cometh the hour, cometh the man moments. I say this with a, a heavy heart, but I think that the one um, one omission I would make would would be Michael Dawson purely mm. because the the prospect of Michael Dawson against Sergio Aguero. Um, doesn't fill me with with much confidence. Uh, I'd I'd be much happier seeing Kabul come back, or even uh, the partnership of uh, Vertonghen and Kirikash back there, just because they're so much quicker. Uh, they're so much confident with the ball at their feet, and just that, that the pace and the potency of the, the city attack would be something that I can see giving giving Dawson trouble. Um, he's not by any means. He's, he's not somebody that I'd. I'd want to sell or, or anything like that. Um, he, he's still got a role to play at the club when we're playing more robust teams in, in domestic cups and in the league and, and, and far-flung European sides. He's, his experience there is invaluable, especially around the place. His obvious passion for the club is there, but um, his position is as a, a starting centre-back and a go-to player in that sense is um, questionable now. And um, something that I can see with the return to, to fitness of Kabul uh, coming to an end. I think the only time you'd really want to see Dawson against Sergio Aguero is in like a drinking contest, isn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't imagine. Can you imagine Aguero keeping up with Dawson on the on the on the stouts? Absolutely not. Uh, exactly. Big, <laughs> big northern bastard. Yeah, rush. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I said I said it would be with a heavy heart, but I think um, for the um, for the benefit of the team, I think uh, his role should be uh, should be looking to be slightly more reduced now. And I think he's he's the type of person that's um, probably happy to do so as well, uh, as long as it's explained to him properly that that's what's going to happen. Um, obviously, he, he can be club captain and and what have you, and that have that sort of um, have that sort of. Respect and that sort of honour bestowed upon him quite happily, but uh, in terms of, of being the um, being the go-to centre back, um, if we're going to be challenging at the very top, he, he's slightly more limited than what um, what we've we've actually got elsewhere. Just chuck him a squeaky toy; he'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, we'll keep, 
keep them occupied for hours. Um, let's go on to, I mean, we've had quite a few questions from people this week, um, which is always nice. Um, we've had one, who's this one? Uh, well, we've kind of answered this. We've had, I just want to read it out for the name. We've had one from <laughs> Piers Moron. Um, it says, are you scared for your next two games? You could drift 11 points away from the Arsenal. I don't really think we need to be looking at Arsenal and what they're doing at the moment, to be honest. Focus on Spurs. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you tell them, Ben. Yeah. Uh, uh, here's a good one. I'll put, um, let's have a look. I'll put this one to Abby first of all then. We've got one from Andrew Rockall who is at Stato underscore 74. Do you feel confident that we are actually better suited to playing against the top sides in the league as opposed to the dross? Hmm. I mean, I don't really think you can you can say any of it's really a dross. I think all games are hard as, as we've actually seen even more so every season as the Premier League goes on. You know, every, every team is, is, is hard to beat and, and every point counts. I think that we might, we, we might try harder slightly against more, you know, teams that we have more respect for. Um, but, I, I mean, I think that we should have the same respect for every, for every team, you know, whether we're home or away. I think that the most important thing is getting the three points and, you know, it, it shouldn't matter... If it's Norwich, if it's Palace, if it's United, I think we should sit out the same against all of them. We have had tendencies in the past to perform better against bigger teams, but there was more, you know, there was more of like a build-up, I feel like. I feel like when we had West Ham at home this season, it was very low-key for such a low, for such a big derby, which, you know, we always usually perform in and there's always a lot of hype before the game. And I feel like it was quite understated this season. And, and I haven't heard, even though it's another week away, that much going on about the City game, not a lot of hype over it. I think that it, it really, you know, all, all games count. And I think that it just, it doesn't matter whoever you're playing. you just got to just gotta go and give it your all in all of them. And I think all of them really matter. See, I think as well for me, I, I find it hard to believe that a manager such as AVB, I mean, whether you you like him as a manager or not, you like his style or not, you know that he's made his footing in scouting the opposition. And it's it's on record from several different players at several different clubs that the way in which he prepares his side ahead of any game, it doesn't matter how big the opposition are or how small they are. He has a dossier. He highlights danger men. He sees the way they've played in different fixtures. He sees the way they adapt their tactics for different scenarios. So, you know, as you've said there, you know, I don't think the manager would at all say, oh, this is just Norwich or, oh, this is just West Ham, so we can switch off in this one, lads. So, yeah, um, I mean, in terms of from the player side, Raj, do you think that their mentality, so if we're to take it away from the manager, do you think the player's mentality can be taken into account at all? Do you think that maybe some of our, say, like, foreign players, for want of a less jingoistic-sounding term, um, maybe do only switch it on for the Chelsea's, for the Arsenal's, for the United's, um, as opposed to Norwich or West Ham, teams that they maybe haven't seen on the television or couldn't name any players from? Um, I think it's only natural that you'd want to, to play better against the bigger sides. I don't think there's any question in them in terms of 
looking uh, like they don't care against lesser teams. Um, certainly in every game I've, I've seen them play this season, they've looked as if, even if the, 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 the way in which they're playing isn't being effective, they look like they're, they're trying their hardest to make it so. Um, the point about raising yourself for, for bigger teams, I mean, if you take it down to a very basic level, have you ever, have you ever played FIFA late at night? And you know when you get to that point where your eyes are struggling to stay awake and then you've you've played a game and then you see your next game, it can be stroke away in the Premier League and you're thinking, no, it's all right, I can go to bed. Or you've got Real Madrid away. You're more likely to stay up and play the game in the Bernabeu than you are stroke away. So I think it's, it's something that, it's, it's only natural that the ones that have got more pressure on, the ones that are... Have got more esteem held towards them, and, and the bigger games are the ones that players are going to look forward to more. Um, I think at any level in, in any walk of life, when when something's got that level of level of pressure attached to it, uh, people raise themselves to it. Um, but in terms of being uh, questioning their attitude to any level when it when it comes to something that could be a little more straightforward for them, um, I don't think that's that's something I'd be I'd be comfortable in in agreeing with at this stage. Okay. Um, ben, we've had one from Phil O'Connell, which is at Philox77. Um, he says, that, do you think the inverted wingers are the cause of our issues up top? No service to Soldado and overcrowded in the middle. I guess we've kind of gone over this at the first half of the pod, but just to surmise um, in answer to the question. It certainly slows the attack, yes, and it congests the midfield... Uh, massively and then limits the you know, final pass we can actually play. I think against West Ham it was mass- highlighted massively <clears throat> whenever Carl Norton would get upfield cut to his right foot, Sigerson would be there in front of him, there'd be no option on the left and you'd uh, go onto the other side and there'd be Townsend cutting it into- onto his left foot and Walker would be sort of the only player providing the width and play a lot which I think something I think that needs to change if you put Townsend on the left and maybe Lennon on the right they can use their pace and put in the early ball to Soldado and I think that's where he's at his best uh, when he's got the uh, when the ball's put to him quite early on and he can just you know snap chances and he'll put them away Ben, do you not feel that um, some of the responsibility has to fall on the players themselves? Um, If if you think of players like um, Townsend specifically, is it not his own own call whether or not he's going outside or coming inside? If he's repeatedly coming outside and and it's fruitless and his only option is to, to hit a wild one into the top of the park lane... Should it, should he not take it upon himself to go outside and, and attack that way? Is it is it not something that's slightly too basic for the manager to have to point out? Is it not something that a player of that level can can see himself and take upon himself to do? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if they want to use a bit of initiative and take it upon themselves to actually go for goal, then fair enough. But too many. There's just a lot of time, especially on Sunday. Uh, saw Townsend try and cut in onto his left, and straight away was met with you know three players crowding him out, and it just congested midfield. Newcastle win back possession, looked at it as on the counter. Um, the couple of times he actually did break down to onto his right and try and get the ball 
in early. It showed a lot of promise and it sort of took the Newcastle defence by surprise because they probably weren't expecting it. And we had a couple of goal-scoring opportunities as a result of that. But I definitely agree that if they see a chance that maybe should take it, uh, just to surprise the opposition, but then the inverted wingers again can often stifle the attack and congest the midfield annoyingly. Okay, well, there we go. Um, I've got uh, here. I'll, I'll put this on to Abby as well. Um, this is from Chris Mann Spurs, um, and with regard to Benoît Acotto. Should off-field upsettings be more important than on-field needs? Absolutely not. You know, the, the most important thing is the team at the end of the day, and whatever's gone gone on in the dressing room or behind closed doors is is it should and, and and should be left in the dressing room. I think that putting him out alone was a mistake with only having Danny Rose. I mean, I don't think that Carl Norton is a footballer of Spurs standards. Whether he's on the left or on the right, I don't think he's great in either position. Um, I think that letting him go on loan was a big mistake, especially with having the injury to Rose. Matongan, you know, not so happy being at left back. I think that ADB may have put himself before the team in that respect by letting him go out um, and something that he's now going to have to rectify in January, actually. So I think that something, anything else that's happened off the pitch should be left off the pitch and um, got to put the team first. But do you think that sometimes in, in practice, though, that... that doesn't always work out per se. I mean, if you if you do have a player like Ben Moore, who you, know, you can only assume that whatever's gone on between him and AVB has been something that's been ongoing in the respect that I can't imagine it's just one incident. It's probably a collection of different things. But, you know, where do you draw the line? If, if the manager is being, say, consistently undermined by a player... Will it then lead to other players thinking, well, you know, this manager hasn't hasn't got any balls. You know, he's 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 letting one of these other players walk all over to him. You know, I come into training, I work my ass off, and I've got this other guy who says lol on Twitter a lot, and the fans like him, but he doesn't give a shit when he comes to training. He doesn't he doesn't try hard enough. Yeah, he might do it out there on the pitch, but you know, do you think it can affect the team harmony in that respect? I think there's different ways of disciplining players and disciplining people. I think that, you know, even though he might have had whatever's gone on with him in the dressing room and and whatever's happened, I think that that is still a separate thing. You know, if he is being undermined, there has to be a different way to discipline him. By sending him off on loan and having no one other than Danny Rose's cover at left back is not benefiting the team. And it's it's kind of being selfish in a way because whatever issues are going on can be resolved and and disciplined however he might like it. But send someone out, out on loan and putting them completely out of the equation. You know, we're in a position where the team actually need a left back and Batonga's not happy playing, you know, at left back and, and now we're kind of stuffed until the until the window opens. So there's there's certain ways of disciplining players and showing that he might have balls, but I don't think sending him out on loan to QPR was one of them. Yeah, it it does seem somewhat defeatist in a way. I see what you're saying in that in that respect. Um Raj, you got anything to add on it at all? Um, um, I agree that <coughs> it's it's left a short at left back. Um, but if, if if his attitude is is to the detriment of the rest of the squad, if he's if he's doing something that obviously we we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Um, obviously he comes across well in interviews and he's fairly outspoken towards his his view on football and. Uh, 
the way in which he conducts himself endears him immensely to fans. But if he's not behaving in a manner that that is befitting of a player that should be representing the club uh, in terms of, as you say, in training, if he's not showing the manager um, that he's he's up to the task, um, I do agree that it, it would come across weak um, to to continue playing him. Um, many managers have have um, have axed players of, of quality that haven't haven't performed in order to to show the rest of the squad that, that below par attitudes and, and, and performances won't be accepted. Uh, so to make an make an an example of him in that fashion um, has precedent, um, and I think uh, I think he's not a player that's that's actually good enough for us to. Um, to, to go against uh, any sort of squad harmony to, to accommodate him had it been Gareth Bale and we'd kept him and, and he was he was slightly uh, misbehaving in that sort of sense I can I can see his bending rules slightly for a player that 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 that, 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 that is that good sorry and I'm fucking stuttering for a second but it, he's not of a level of that quality he's somebody that we can we can replace and and, and improve upon. Um, I think the only mistake that was made was was letting him go on loan before we had a replacement in. Of course, I think I, I know what you're saying in the respect that uh, there's that there's a story that came out earlier on in the season, wasn't there? That all the Barcelona players have been banned from drinking Coca-Cola, aside for Lionel Messi, who apparently takes great delight in drinking Coca-Cola because you know no one's going to tell him that he can't do that. So. There you go. Um, but that is all just hearsay. Um, we've had one, I'll, I'll put this one to Ben, um, that's from Declan Wiseman at <clears throat> Wizward, who says, Addy and Robbie, perfect partnership or clutching at straws? Um, I'm not too sure. I think in the system we're playing at the moment, it's a bit... Uh, as I've said before, it leaves Soldado and Defoe isolated. Whereas I think if Adebayo was playing in the form that he was in towards the end of last season, he would thrive in. I could see it working maybe if you bring Adebayo into that number 10 role to drop it a bit deeper and maybe work the channels and drag defenders out of play so that Soldado gets that bit more... Soldado you know, has a bit more space to work in. But I think in the four-two-three-one, ideally it would be if everyone's fit at a by all. I think would still be the best option. I can't see, you know, unless push comes to shove, uh, AVB moving to a four-four-two unless you know he has to throw the kitchen sink at a team. But yeah, ideally I'd like to see Adebayo given a chance in the current setup when he's fully fit because I think he would thrive in that role. Would you, Would you agree, Abby? Do you, Do you want to see Addy? Back in the fold? I don't particularly like him. I think that he has a really poor work rate majority of the time and turns it on when he feels like it. And I don't think that a player should you know, should, should really be allowed to do that. I think you, you should go out and you should give it your all in every single game. And I don't feel like his attitude is correct either. Um, having said that, the current situation we are in um, and the lack of goals we are scoring, I would be tempted to try it just because I think that Soldado needs someone similarly to like a keen Berbatov partnership um and I said that to someone a few weeks ago I think that because he's quite you know he's not the biggest player and and he is purely a box player as we've seen he might need someone to knock it down to him and and, you know try and help him out a bit and I, I would be open to seeing it 
but I don't think that he is the long-term answer to our to our prayers. Okay, um, I'll put this next one to Raj. Um, I, well, Ben could probably answer it, and it would be quite enlightening to get Abby's perspective on this one as well. We've had one from Ricky um, at Ricky TFC, which is why I me why is the trunk such a wanker? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Raj, would you care to offer any insight on why I am a wanker? Um, I think it's your tendency to think that you, you're funnier than you actually are, um, and I don't think your voice helps you either. I mean, Ben, do you want to do you want to add anything? Yeah, I think it's the fact that I can see my bush is wanking right now. <laughs> and Abby, I mean, having just met me, would you care to add why I'm a wanker? Chance. I don't. I don't think you're that much of a wanker, but, but it's early days. Thank you very much. Oh, that's good. I'll, I'll, uh... Still, there's still time for you to prove it. While she's trying to say, <laughs> that's true. That's true. And that that was that was cold, Raj. That was cold. There we go. I, I, say, I, 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 I went along with it, joking. You no, know, I love you really. Yeah. You, Tottenham's Keith Chegwin. It's a yeah. new <laughs> Um. Oh god. All the questions have gone a bit silly now. We've had Alex Riddle. Alex underscore Riddle. What's your favourite soup? I was trying to think of a way to make that Tottenham theme, but we can't really, can we? No. Alphabet soup, because I... Leek and potato. Leek and potato, yeah. Yeah. Ben? Uh, I like mushroom soup. You like mushroom soup? See, this is what it's become. <laughs> see, before before you are the next Georgie Thompson, Abby, this is what you have to do, you see? This yeah. is working the... This is working the... the, 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 the what is it? Walking the boards. Working men's top. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm a chicken. I'm a chicken soup fan. If anyone cares. Oh, there we go. I like minestrone. So there you go, Alex. That's the that's your soup question. Um, let's just do slightly more of a serious one. Here's a good one from Burgo Kevin. Um, whoever wants to jump in first, please do. Um, who takes the blame for coming out flat at the start of games, and what can be done to fix that? He he, he says in brackets, lack of intensity and urgency. Oh, I'll jump in then. Um, for me, that kind of thing is surely down to the manager. Um, the manager will tell the players how he wants them to go out from the beginning. And if if there is a perceived lack of tempo from the players, then that will surely be filtered down from, from Village Boas. I mean, you can highlight individual performances. So, you know, as people have said, Polinio, maybe his work rate has been off slightly recently or... You know, Christian Eriksen has found himself bullied at times. But if this is just about the general style of play being slow, then that would surely be from the manager. But I'm I'm not overly sure that our football has been that slow, per se. It's just that it hasn't been that, that penetrating, if you like. Are you giggling again? Who's giggling? Who's doing that? <laughs> I mean, do you... Would would you say it's been particularly slow, Raj? Um, I don't wish to comment on any sort of slow penetration, but um, <laughs> the um, the way in which we're starting games, I think it's 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 a culmination of all the 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 points that we've come up to to this far is that we're not entirely settled in the manner in which we're playing. Um, I think once once we have done that, um, we'll be much better. Um. I do, as I say, think that it will come good. Um, I think the start that we've made, 
given that there are so many little things that, that perhaps we could be doing better is is remarkable given we've picked up that many points and we've started as well as we have across all competitions. I mean, if you just compare it to, to last season on face value, we've got further in the League Cup. We've qualified through the Europa League much quicker than we had done previously and much more effectively. And we've picked up more, more points in the league than we have, have done before. So in that, in that sense, if, if we're doing that at half pace... What are we going to be like when we actually uh, come to be a conducive unit and actually uh, playing to our, our full potential? That's a that's a, um, a much more positive spin on it rather than looking at it as a as a negative thing. Um, I choose to I choose to have a bit more foresight in that question, really. Okay, all right. Well, um, we, we, we're getting close to the end now. Um, that's sort of yeah. We've not had a suicide. I'm waiting for you to start giggling again, there, Raj. But uh, if I just had to put to every single member of the panel, I'll start with you, Abby. Where do you see from from what you've seen thus far, and from what you think we're capable of? Where do you realistically see Spurs finishing the season? Not a nice question. Um, I would like to say fourth, but. I don't necessarily think that we will. I think we may finish fifth this season. Um, I think that our season will really show, you know, and will really show what we're made of after Christmas. I think that's when the season usually really does fully take shape and you do see what teams are made of. Um, you know, it, it's difficult because we have what's so many new players, new era and you know, we've got we've got lots of things that, that have to come together and have to gel. And there's a lot of teams around us with great, you know, strike partnerships going on. You've got the, the Rooney and you've got Dan Perth, you've got Suarez and you've got Sturridge and you've even got Giroud. And it, it's very difficult because we haven't got that at the moment and we haven't hit, you know, our full potential just yet. I think after Christmas, we may have gelled more. I think players will be hopefully thriving off each other and know their positions and knowing where their, their part in, in the team is going to be. I think that it's a question that you might need to ask us all maybe in February time. Um, but at the moment, I think that we'll finish it. Off the back of that, what I would say, you raise an interesting point there because you did highlight the the effective strike partnerships. But when it comes to Arsenal, they're in a similar position to us in that they pl- they have pretty much one decent striker who they play up front, who isn't really scoring that many goals to them. Um, and the majority of their goals seem to come from midfielders. Um, and they have, in terms of the type of midfielders available to them, have a very similar kind of lot as we do. What is it, I mean, Ben, Raj or Abby, either one of you, um, what is it that they're doing differently that's seeing them score as many goals? Is it just down to the individual quality that they have over us? Consistency. Um, they've been building that team and they've been that playing in that manner for a number of years now, and the, the culmination of making one big signing and um, and keeping things settled, the same manager and uh, with a similar team and a similar spine, alongside uh, bringing in a defensive midfielder and Flamini and giving a, a second season to a, a striker such as Giroud who wasn't as good last season. Is um is why they're up where they are. Um, the squad isn't as deep as it could be uh, to win the league, 
Um, the reason why they're doing so much better than United or City or Chelsea are is because the three of them have, have got new new managers. They're, they're playing in different manners to which they were last season. The, the three biggest clubs in the league are going through transitional periods, whereas the ones that haven't changed as much, uh, if you look at Liverpool, the, the, their two standout players are their three, Coutinho, Sturridge, um, Suarez, even Henderson, who's playing well, and, and Gerard as always. Gerard as always. Um, they've been there for for at least a year each. Now, I mean, Coutinho probably half a year, but he, he's been there for a while. So that's a bedded in thing. And and Brendan Rodgers' philosophy is coming across a lot more. So they've been through a lot less change to what their direct competitors have. And just having that added stability is, is I think, where they've got their upper hand so far. I think after Christmas, where everyone's slightly more settled and everyone knows their role a little bit more, I think uh, I think that's when the league will become slightly more interesting. Where are we going to finish, Raj? Um, I would... Just I'd, as I'd, it is now. It's not something I'm going to like rub in your face at the end of the season, but just the way you've seen us play up to this point and what you know we have ahead of us, where can you see us finishing? I will say that we'll finish fourth, having broken our point record of 72 points, and we'll win a cup. That's optimistic. That's good. And uh, Ben, how about you? Sorry. <laughs> um, no, you are you cut... watching the wire in the background? No, you suddenly cut out for a second. Oh, that that old one, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where do you see us finishing this season, mate? Like just based on what you've seen thus far. Um, I said fourth at the beginning of the season. I stick by that, and I agree with Raj that we have the potential to win a cup, maybe possibly the Europa League depending who drops into the competition from the Champions League. I'd love to win that. Winning the Europa League would be absolutely fun. It's one of those cups that everyone seems to be pissed off that we're in all the time, but you could see it after we lost to Basel last year, how much it meant to all the fans. You just had to look on Twitter to see how dejected everyone was. You had to look at the players. Like, but It'd be amazing to win the, to win, to win the Europa. Brilliant. Especially if Arsenal drop in and we beat them in the final. <laughs> All right, and the the final quick fire questions, just quick fire, just just give me the scores. What do you think the score will be against Man City, Abby? I'm going to go optimistic, and I'm going to say two one. Raj, one all. Ben, if Larissa's is there, one all. If Friedel, two one City. I think four nil City. There we go. Uh, <laughs> but I do think they'll dick us I think maybe 3-1 so yeah well I hope uh, I hope this has helped to alleviate somewhat the 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 dank crevice that is the international break Um, I don't think any of us particularly care do we about actually Ibra against Ronaldo that's a that's a decent little little show Um, it's got to be I'm an Ibra man personally I know you are Ben I know you are big time (laughs) What about you, Abby? For, uh, who, who, Portugal or Sweden? Ronaldo, all day. Yeah. Oh, okay. Roger, <laughs> what about you? Would you would you just have a nice little Raj in the middle between Ibra and Ronaldo? I'd happily be the uh, be the brown sauce in their sandwich, but um, I, I, if I had to choose between one or the other, um, I, I'd, <laughs> I'd give my everything for Zlatan. Zlatan. Have you read it? I haven't read it. No, well, let's not talk about Zlatan's book. I'm not going to blow any more smoke up there. It's good. It's good. Yeah? Yeah, it's good. It's really good. I might have a look then. I might have a read. But uh, 
if you are, oh, that's, that, that provides me with a great link to say, if you like reading things to do with football, especially Tottenham, um, then you can check out SpursStatman.com. Where... This week we've got, um, we go. as always, uh, Steve Jennings as, as um, post-match analysis, uh, statistical and tactical of um, the weekend's game against Newcastle. Um, we've also rarely this week got, got something by me going up tomorrow. Um, which I alluded to earlier is um, 18 points uh, that that we need to look at that AVB, the squad and the fans can learn from. It's got all sorts of heat maps and, and tactics boards in it. So it's um, it's it's quite long. So if you trudge your way through that, you've done well. Uh, and there's also, uh, I've tweeted it out a couple of times, I think it's on the Spurs Statman um, Twitter account as well. Rob Brown, our, uh, our man in South America, has written a, a hilarious piece this week about being an Englishman playing football abroad with a load of South Americans. So it's a very good read. It's very short as well, so uh, you don't have to worry about getting into his drool too much. Um, I'm only kidding, Rob, I love you. Um, you can, of course, listen to all the previous episodes of Rule the Roost on Spurs, that man, and on iTunes as well. Um, check out some of Abby's blogs. They're very good. I had a read before we invited her on the show, of course. Um, on the Fan Zone website, and also be sure to get following Who Scored and read some of Ben and the rest of the Who Scored team's articles on the website. It's very, very good, very good website, very good source for stats, uh, player comparisons, things like that. Articles you wouldn't find elsewhere. So nicely done, Ben, and nicely done Who Scored. But thank you very much. Yeah, well, thank you everyone for for joining us this evening as well, um, for giving us your time and. Uh, we can all, all all rest assured that Spurs are going to win the league from this point. Um, let's just leave it there, right? Come on, you Spurs. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.